0: Father, we just come to you again today, and we just thank you for all you teach us through your Word. And Lord, as we come to chapter thirty-two of Genesis, and uh, we look at this fascinating few verses here about this encounter Jacob has with angels, Lord, and uh, it's not—it's his second encounter with angels. And so, Lord, there's maybe something here you're trying to tell us. And I—I I just ask today that uh, maybe we can use this uh, text as a springboard to—to to see just how you deal with us through angels and uh lord there's probably angels in this room right now as we as we come to you and lord we we just ask that you uh open our spiritual eyes and hearts to to see what you're doing in our lives lord in this what seems to be a mundane uh day-to-day tough world lord that uh help us to see that that you're there giving us help in all sorts of ways and one of those ways that you do that is through your angels lord we're just so blessed to 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 be your children and uh, to learn these things about how you deal with us and uh, the way you dealt with Jacob is very similar to the way you deal with us, Lord. So I just ask that we learn these lessons today by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray, amen. I'm going to ask you a question today, and I don't want you to raise your hand or shout out an answer, but uh, I'm, i am ask you a question. How many of you uh, in this room, have ever encountered an angel? Well, you know sure enough that you've encountered an angel. And I'm not talking about your wife. I mean, all of us, all of our, uh, all the men in here, we, we think consider our wives angels. Hey, we might get to heaven and find out they really were angels. But but uh, uh, anyway, I, I, I let me answer that question for you. I'm willing to bet that if you're a born-again believer, and you're here in this room today, that at one time or the other, you have encountered an angel. I'll I'll be willing to bet you that. Now, you might not know it yet, but you'll know that one day that you did, you were ministered to by angels. I know one specific time, and I'm not going to share it with you because I don't want you to think I'm nuts or anything, but, or nuttier, uh, let me put it that way, uh, uh, I know once for sure that I encountered an angel. I know that for sure. Again, I'm not going to share that, that, that incident with you, but, but uh, in my dreams a couple of times, I've encountered angels. I've seen angels, and, and in those dreams, they've been specific dreams where God has given me a specific word, and, and so I was pretty sure those were real angels that I'd encountered. But I think I've encountered angels a lot more times than just those few times. I think there's been times when I've encountered a stranger, and I think maybe on the other end of this thing, other end of life, I'm going to find out that that stranger that I encountered that helped me actually was an angel. Let me give you one example. Uh, We were driving our motorcycles back from, from, uh, really, I was with Brenda by myself, and we were driving back when I had a midnight venture, and we were driving back from... Uh, Florida and we were we had reached Covington coming back and uh, I saw a black midnight venture riding right next to me uh, in the other lane and uh, I waved at the guy and he waved at me and, and then he sped on and I didn't see him again until we got to Burrow Bridge and we stopped at the pilot gas station and he just happened to stop at that same pilot gas station and he was pumping gas at the pump right next to mine and so I said hey man how you doing and he said hey to me and he had this jacket on it's this motorcycle jacket and it had a big cross on the back and he had Jesus the name Jesus and brought it all over the jacket anyway we got to talking about our motorcycle and we got to talking about the Lord I told him that I was a pastor and we you know we both were talking about the Lord and then and then uh, he said well let me look at your bike and he started looking at my motorcycle, and, and uh, I mean, it was just like his. I didn't know why he wanted to look at my bike, but he started looking at my bike. And then he got down on, his, on, on uh, in a push-up position and was looking up under my bike. And he said, you know, you see this right here? He said, come down and look at this. He said, your plug to your transmission uh, box is, is gone. And he said, if you don't take care of that right away, you're going you know, to either burn up your bike at, at best. At worst, you might lock up your transmission and have a wreck. Well, I said, well, I'm going to take care of that. So I, I took care of that. Well, after that, I thought about that. I wondered, now, what did that? Why did that guy go looking up under my bike? You know, I wondered maybe if, you know, he might have been an angel. It's quite possible he 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 might have been an angel. I don't know for sure, but he he might have been. And i I'm, I'm I'm sure uh, some of you could tell similar stories where you've encountered some stranger and and you've you've wondered hey maybe that was god ministering to me somehow through an angel well there's times i think in fact i know there are times when we're being ministered to by angels and we don't even see those angels you remember the story in second kings chapter 6 when when elijah saw those uh, angels they, the Syrian, the Syrian army had surrounded them, you know, Elijah saw those angels up on the mountain, and his servant said hey we 're all about to die." and He said, "No, Lord, I pray you open his eyes and he can see those angels that are there that they were there all the time that were going to protect them, and they were gonna, you know they were going to win that battle, but they were there so there 's times I believe that, that that angels are there, and we don 't even see those angels. Uh, Francis D. Soleil, the Bishop of Geneva. Uh, in the 1600s, uh, he exhorted us this way, exhorted believers this way. He said, make yourself familiar with the angels and behold them by faith frequently in spirit, for without being seen, they are present with you even now. Uh, You know, again, I believe right now it's quite possible that there are angels in this room as we speak uh, maybe good angels maybe bad angels and I'm not talking about any of you but I'm talking about uh, spiritual angels that, that are in this room it's, it's quite possible they're here with us right now uh, Paul alluded to that uh, possibility in in first Corinthians chapter 11 when he he exhorted women to be careful how you dress and to cover your heads because the angels are in the room so so it very well might be angels in this room right now as we speak. Uh, and in today's lesson, we're going to see Jacob have his second encounter with angels. You remember the first encounter with angels came at Bethel uh, when he saw Jacob's ladder. And he saw the angels ascending and descending from heaven on that ladder. So he, that was his first encounter. And now today as we come to to uh, chapter 32, we're going to see his second experience with angels, and maybe we can learn some lessons from from what we see here. But first, before we get started in chapter 32, let's set the setting for today's text. Uh, Remember what happened. Jacob decided it, it was time to leave Haran and go back home to the Promised Land. And God said, hey, it's okay, you can leave. And so he made the decision to leave. But remember what he did. He stole away in the middle of the night. He didn't tell Laban he was going to go. He just left. He gathered up all his stuff. Laban was a three-day journey away. It was going to take him three days to get back, so he had a six-day head start. So he gathered up all his family and all his goods and all his servants, and he stole away in the middle of the night, and he started heading toward the promised land. Now, what Jacob had done unwittingly by doing that, he had put himself in between a rock and a hard place because he had Laban coming after him from the rear, and he, and, and he was heading to the promised land, and who was waiting for him there? His brother Esau, who had told him the last time he saw him, I'm going to kill you for stealing my birthright. And so, so uh, he was in a pretty, pretty bad position uh, at this point. But if you remember last week, the Lord dealt with the first half of that equation, when he came to Laban in a dream and he told him, he said, you better not mess with Jacob. You you better not even do so much as say a bad word against Jacob. You better leave him alone. And so Laban left him alone and and, uh, he he came to Jacob and he said, God came to me in a dream so I can't harm you. I can't take back my children, my grandchildren. I can't take back my daughters. I can't take back my cattle. I'm going to let you go. And then so he so, he, so Laban kissed his uh, uh, daughters and his grandchildren goodbye, and he left. But now Jacob can't go back to Haran, so he's still in a box. And so he's heading to the promised land, and he knows that he's going to face his, uh, his brother Esau soon. Now, at, you, at this point, if you look at everything that's happened in Jacob's life, you would think that he would be full of faith, Full of courage. God had done so much for him uh, for, during those 20 years that he had, he had been away from home. And so, so you would think that he would be, be totally trusting in the Lord. He would be done with his scheming. He would be done with his self-effort. But that's not the case. But and here's what's so cool about the Lord. You think the Lord would have been done with Jacob if Jacob hadn't learned all of his lessons. If if Jacob wasn't a man of faith at this point, but God is so patient with us and so merciful towards us and so gentle to us, what does God do? Here's Jacob, and he's in a box. What does God do? He sends him angels to minister to him. That's just how gracious God is. Look at verse number 1. And again, we're in chapter 32 of Genesis. Verse number 1. Chapter 32, verse number 1. So Jacob went on his way. Now watch this. Short but profound. And the angels of the Lord, the angels of God met him. Now here was Jacob. He's on the edge of the promised land and he's in dire straits. He knows that very soon he's going to be facing his brother Esau and Esau had threatened to kill him for stealing his birthright. And so uh, Jacob's afraid. I mean, he's a, he's a sheep herder. His brother Esau was a warrior. Uh, he All he had with him was his family and a few servants. And Jacob probably had a, uh, all of those servants that Isaac had had. And they had, were probably warriors too. And so he's afraid. And uh, he, it, it seems like he's in a hopeless situation. Uh, but really, if you think about it, he wasn't any more of a hopeless situation than he was when he had left. Remember when he came to Bethel, he came with the shirt on his back, basically. Uh, he had a rock for a pillow. And, he, and, and he, that was a pretty hopeless situation. But God took care of him then, didn't he? When he, when he, when he came under the tutelage of old Uncle Laban, God took care of him then. And so really, you know, Jacob isn't in a hopeless situation. He should have, shouldn't have known that. But God knew he didn't know that. God knew his faith was weak. And so when, he came, when Jacob went on his way, uh, the angels of God met him. Now, so God comes through again. And he sends these angels out to meet Jacob. And they even camp next to him. Now, I mean, how cool is that? I mean, what a sight that had to be. Here was Jacob. He had his 12 sons. He had uh, uh, actually 11 sons at this point. He had his 11 sons. He had his, he had his servants and his wives, and that was it. And here they are camped, camp, and camp right next to them is a camp of angels. Now, why in the world would God send him a camp of angels? It doesn't take any skilled theologian to figure that out. What was God doing right there? God was bringing comfort to Jacob. God was trying to calm Jacob's fears before he went into the promised land and uh, uh, give him uh, the courage to, to face his brother. Uh, and so, so uh, again, I'm just amazed. God doesn't scold him. He doesn't uh, scold him for his lack of faith. Uh, he gives him what, is need, what he needs. And I'll tell you what, Jacob is thrilled. He's excited uh, because he was afraid. And then look at verse number two. When Jacob saw them, when he saw the angels, he said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of the place Mahanaim, which literally means two camps, the place of two camps. Uh, And what were the two camps? There were the camp of the angels and Jacob's camp, the camp that included his family and his servants. But really, both of those camps, were God's camps. God was in, was looking over all of these people, all of these people, and all of these angels. And the presence of those angels were there to send Jacob a very loud message. I know you're in between a rock and a hard place. I know you can't go back to Haran and face Uncle Laban. You don't want to go back to the life that you lived before. You want to go home. You want to see your parents. You want to you you want to go back to the Promised Land, and you and, and and if you go forward, you're going to face old Esau. But hey, you've got angels with you. You are, there's no reason to be afraid. Take courage. I'm with you. That's the most important thing. But 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 you have angels that are with you, and so so don't worry about the situation that you're in. Well, so here's Jacob, and I think he takes courage in that. He's camped with his family and he's his servants. And next to him is this camp of angels. But at some point, that was a vision that God gave him. At some point, that vision went away. And when that vision went away, Jacob goes back to being Jacob. Hey, how many times do we go back to being who we are outside of the Lord? The Lord gives us some kind of word, some kind of message, some kind of messenger that lets us know that he's with us, to take courage that he's with us. And as long as, as, as we're in that situation where with our eyes we can see and with our hands we can touch some source of comfort, we're okay. But when that source of comfort's pulled away, then, then uh, we go back to being ourselves, which, which is being weak and being afraid and being scared. And that's exactly what happens to him. Look at verse number 3. Then Jacob, so what is Jacob? I say Jacob went back to being Jacob. Who was, what's the name Jacob mean? It means schemer, uh, deceiver, wheeler-dealer. In other words, he he didn't really trust the Lord, and he's going to go back to his his old way of being Jacob. Listen to what it says in verse number 3. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus, now watch what he says here. He says, to my Lord Esau. Now, I think in one sense, Jacob is buttering up Esau. But, I, but, but he's really got this reversed. Esau wasn't Jacob's Lord. Jacob was Esau's Lord. Because Jacob had received the inheritance. Jacob had received the promise that the older will serve the younger. But Jacob's got this all thing, he doesn't have much faith here. So he's got this all reversed, and so he says, Speak thus to my, my Lord Esau, and, and he says, Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt in the land of Laban, and I've stayed there until now. I, I've been with my old, old uncle Laban, your uncle Laban, uh, for 20 years, and now I'm coming home. Aren't you excited? Your brother's coming back home. But here's Jacob. I mean, he, he's still wheeling and dealing. He's he still, you know, he's willing to give up that inheritance at this point for his safety. He's saying, you're the Lord. I'm the servant. When in reality, it's actually reversed. And it, not only does he do that now. He's going to offer Esau a bribe. Look at the next verse, verse number 5. He says, I've got oxen. Man, I've got donkey. I've got flocks. I've got all sorts of stuff I can give you, uh, Esau, if you won't kill me. I've got male and female servants. And I have sent to tell you, my Lord, that I may g- and give you these goods that I may find favor in your sight. Now, what's Jacob done at this point, basically? He's thrown out all the promises that God has given him. He's thrown them right out the window. And, and and he's trying to take matters into his own hand. Uh, he, 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 he doesn't really trust the Lord. I mean, what about the promise that God had given him? Remember when he left Uncle Laban, what God told him, I'm going to protect you all the way home. No, nothing's going to harm you. Remember, he promised him that. And And then, I mean... He just saw a camp of angels. God says, "Hey, you're not going to see them all the time, but you're going to have angels with you. Esau is not going to be able to harm you in any way." And 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 so what? They, Jacob doesn't trust that, and so he so he so he again he 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 lets puts Esau in the position of being his lord, and he offers him a bribe, and it doesn't work. I mean, often you know, whenever we try to to take matters in our own hands, very seldom does it ever work. I mean, if we trust the Lord to do it his way, it's going to work. But when we try to do things our way, it more than likely is not going to work. Because look at what happens next. It says, Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau. And Jacob said, Well, what did he say? He didn't say anything, but he's coming to meet you, and he's got 400 men with him. Now, I'm sure Jacob is shaking in his boots at this point. He's, I, I think he's about to faint because he understands that Esau isn't bringing 400 men to, 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 to celebrate his homecoming. He's bringing 400 men to, 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 to kill Jacob. And I believe, I have no doubt at this point, that that is Esau's intention. God's going to change Esau's heart later on. And esau's going to you know they 're going to have this great reunion we 're going to see that here in the, in, 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 in the coming verses but but uh, at this point, Esau is out to kill jacob i have I have no doubt about that and Esau's a great warrior, and he brings four hundred war- warriors with him and so uh, he comes with ill intentions and, and Jacob rightfully look at verse number seven. Uh, it says there that, so Jacob was greatly afraid. I mean, he was afraid before the, uh, all of, before he heard that Esau was coming, but now he's greatly afraid and distressed. Should he be greatly afraid and distressed at this point? No. No, because God had made him all of these promises. God had made him a promise that he was going to protect him. God had promised him a future and a hope, and if you've got a future and a hope, uh, nobody can harm you unless God allows them to harm you. God had shown him uh, the way he protected him when Uncle Laban came after him, and, and God gave Laban that dream. I mean, he knew about that dream. He had been to Mahanaim. He had seen the camp of, of, of the angels, and, and still he's afraid and he's distressed. I remember back when I was in seminary, and I hadn't been in seminary very long. It was one of my first classes, and it was an Old Testament survey class. And we were in this very passage in Genesis. So it was early on in the, in the uh, study. And I remember going over this, I mean the, the teacher going over this, and one guy raised his hand and he says, you know what? He says, Jacob doesn't, be, doesn't deserve to be called a patriarch. Because the fact he was afraid and distressed after all the things God had done for him, he just doesn't deserve to be called a patriarch. And I thought, well, you're you're a really bold guy. If you had 400, here you were with your little children and your two wives and maybe 20 servants, and you had your brother who's vowed to kill you coming at you, he refused your bribe, and he's coming at you with 400 mighty warriors, you wouldn't be afraid. You wouldn't be distressed. You know, we got to be careful how we judge others the way they react to the situations they're in, especially if we've never been in those situations. We might very well throw our faith out the window, too, when we're, our backs are against the wall. Thank goodness we have a God that's merciful, a lot more merciful than we are to each other. A couple of weeks later in the seminary class, every morning we would open with prayer request and prayer uh, at every seminary class. And, and uh, uh, a couple of, uh, I, I guess it was a couple of weeks later, uh, the, the guy offered a prayer request, the same guy who had uh, dissed uh, Jacob for, for his distress and fear, and he started crying. And he said, he said they've told me that if we don't get rid of our little puppy, that we're going to have to leave seminary. And he was crying. And I was thinking, wait, you're crying Because you're going to lose your little puppy. And you were dissing Jacob because he was facing 400 warriors. You see how how hypocritical that is? We need to be careful about judging others. Listen, Jacob wasn't a patriarch because he was a courageous man and a strong man. I don't know that Jacob ever became a courageous and strong man. Maybe right there at the end he did. But when he became Israel, he became special. But he's still often like... Courage and character and the things you would expect in a patriarch. But he wasn't a, a, a patriarch because of that. Why was he a p- patriarch? He was a patriarch because God had chosen him in the womb to be a patriarch. That's why he was a patriarch. And, and, and here he is. He, he's a schemer. He's still a schemer. Now, God's going to work on him. And we're going to see it next week. He's going to wrestle with God And he's finally going to be broken, and he's going to come to the point where he's Israel, prince with God, a man who walks with God. But he's not in that position right now. I mean, he's still a wheeler, dealer, and a schemer. And look at at his scheme now, Uh, in the last part of uh, verse number 7. He says, and he divided the people that were with him, and the flocks, and the herds, and the camels, into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to one company and attacks it, then the other company, which is left, will escape. And I hope I'm in that company. You you see the faulty logic of this plan? I mean, it's got all sorts of holes in it. First, it's nothing but a retreat. He doesn't doesn't call on the Lord. He doesn't get direction from the Lord. He's just going to retreat and run as fast as he can. He's going to divide into two companies, and he's going to figure Esau's going to go after one of the companies, and he's going to slaughter that company, kill whoever's in that company, take the herds, and then the other company will get away. That's real faulty logic, because if you're coming on horses with with 400 men, you're going to be able to slaughter that one company and then chase the other company down, just like Laban had chased them down earlier, and you're going to be able to destroy the other company. So so, so, uh, uh, it, it wasn't going to work. And, and uh, uh, so, Jacob's got a real shaky plan here. And so, I think he realizes that. This really isn't a very good plan. I could actually get killed. I mean, if, if the other company got killed, that would be okay. Jacob's is a selfish guy, but, I, you know, what if he came at me first, my company, my group first? I could actually get, I could actually get killed. And so he does what he should have done in the first place. And we're not going to get into the prayer. But what he's going to do now, he's going to pray. He's going to finally pray, Lord, what, what should I do? We'll, we'll see that next week. We won't get into the prayer today. But you see the problem with that. He has that uh, order backwards. That's not the way we do things. That is the way we do things. That's not the way we should do things. That's what most people do. We go out and we scheme and we will and deal and we, we, we in our own self-efforts we try to get something done and then we pray and we ask God to bless our plans. That's not the way it works in the Christian life. You don't just shoot from the hip. You, what you do and then ask God to bless it. What you do is ask God for his direction. You don't do anything that you haven't been directed to do by God. And you ask God for his direction, and when you have that direction, then you're going to have strength in the fact that you know you're doing what God called you to do. And God isn't a loser. God's going to win. Jacob was doubting this plan because he it was his plan. It wasn't God's plan. And, and so, as we'll see next week, as we pick up there next week, uh, he's going to... He's going to uh, pray, and then he's going to end up wrestling with God. He's going to stand his ground. God's going to get him to stand his ground, but he still thinks he's going to die, and he's going to wrestle with God to get God's favor, and he's actually going to prevail, and he's going to come become uh, Israel, and uh, he's going to not have a victory over his brother, a, a victory in the sense that they're going to reconcile. It's going to be a really cool passage that we'll look at uh, next week. Now, I'm going to go back to this, this subject of, angels as we finish up here today, I got to tell you, I take great courage uh, in this story about Mahanaim, a great courage because, because in this story, and I've already mentioned this earlier, I get a picture of God's patience with his children, his long suffering with his children, uh, his mercy towards his children and I don't know about you but I need a lot of God's patience I need a lot of his mercy I need a lot of his help and he helps Jacob even though Jacob doesn't deserve his help I mean I hear people and and I I may be guilty of this myself sometimes saying that man if you just don't muster up some faith you're going to fail you know what you can you can be not totally faithless But you can be ye of little faith and still receive the grace and mercy of God. And and here is Jacob, who was a man of little faith, and yet God sent angels to help him. Did he deserve it? No. But God sent angels to help him. Now, here's what I want you to see. God loves you. If you're a child of God here today, God loves you every bit as much as he loves Jacob. So even when your faith is faltering and you're up against the wall, you're in between a rock and a hard place, especially when your faith is faltering and you're in between a rock and a hard place, you can expect God's help. In that situation, God will send angels if he has to to help you. I mean, just think about it. Angels are created. They're not eternal, immortal in the sense that they've always existed. At some point they were created. Way back whenever they were created, we don't know. But they're not, only the angel of the Lord is, is an eternal being. But all the other angels were created, but they were created long, probably a long time before we were created. And so they've been around a long time and, and they're not going anywhere. I mean, God didn't say when, when we got the Bible and when, when uh, we received the Holy Spirit, they don't need angels anymore. All the angels come up here and your purpose is, is finished. No, they have an eternal purpose. All the angels have an eternal purpose. And that purpose is given to us by the author of Hebrews in chapter number one, verse fourteen, he says he says are they are ministering spirits sent forth by Jesus Christ to minister to those who will inherit salvation. That is the eternal purpose of angels, and they have not retired; they are still active. They're more active now probably than they ever been before. And when when the author of Hebrews says that they're sent to minister to those who will inherit salvation, guess who that is? That is me and that is you. In Fanny Crosby's classic hymn, Blessed Assurance, she lauds the ministry of angels by writing this, angels descending, bring from above, echoes of mercy, whispers of of love, see that's the ministry of angels to bring to us the echoes of the mercies of God, the whispers of the love of God. That's God speaking to you when you hear an angel, when you see an angel. When I had my heart condition about four years ago, I went to Oshner and they put me in a. I, I, I think it's an MRI. I get the MRI and CAT scan. But anyway, it's the tunnel machine they put you in. And they did an MRI on my heart. And it took, they told me it was going to take an hour, hour and a half. It took three hours, three hours in that tunnel. And I was in that tunnel. Then they give you a, a set of headphones so they can speak to you while you're in there. And they, when they're not talking to you, they, they, they ask you what kind of music do you want to hear? And, and you, you've got your choice. I said, well, if you've got Christian music, I'd like to hear some Christian music. I really need to hear some Christian music. And so I'm in there, and I'm listening to Christian music, and you're in there, and, and the lady says, breathe in. Hold your breath. Breathe out. Then she goes, breathe in and breathe out. And this goes on for hours. And in, in between, you've got, in the background, you've got this Christian music. Well, I'm doing this, and I, had, I, was, I was really about to have claustrophobia. I mean, I was tired of it. I wanted it out. And there was a Christian song that came on. I didn't listen to any of it, but I heard these words. I heard these words. Breathe in my grace, and I will heal your heart. Right there. In that machine, I heard that. Echoes of mercy. Whispers of love. That's what God does for us through angels. Now, there are cessationists out there, and whenever you hear about a cessationist, run as far away from them as you possibly can. And I can give you a list of them. I'd love to give you a list of them today. That they don't believe in miracles. They don't believe in angels' ministry anymore. What, I don't know what... what why the angels would stop ministering if that's their eternal purpose, if they're to minister to those who are going to inherit salvation. I mean, I still need echoes of mercy, mercy and whispers of love. I don't know about you. But they'll tell you that, hey, that with, the, with the death of the apostles, uh, the ministry of the angels ceased. Look, I don't buy that at all. When Jesus came to this earth, he was as full of the Spirit as anybody who ever lived, because he is the Spirit. Now he had emptied himself of his glory. I understand all of—I don't understand all of that, but he did all of that. I understand that he did all of that. He emptied himself of his glory, and 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 and. Uh, but he still was God. He still could walk on water. He still could call down fire. He still could hear God speak from above. He still could could feed 5,000. He could do all of those things. But he needed the ministry of angels. You know, it was angels who came to Joseph, an angel who came to Joseph and said, Joseph, don't put away Mary uh, while she was pregnant. Don't put her away. She's carrying the Son of God. It was an angel who came to Joseph and told Joseph, you've got to get out of here you know, to escape Herod's wrath. When Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights, we're told that when he was done with that temptation that Satan had tempted him with, that he was ministered to by the angels. When when he was at Gethsemane, what what were his apostles doing? They were sleeping, but he was being ministered to by angels. They were giving him comfort and strength. At his resurrection, it was an angel who rolled away the stone. I think he could have got out anyway. But but an angel rolled away the stone. It was angels that attended to his ascension when he went back to heaven. And angels even now are ministering to Jesus at his throne, singing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So if Jesus needed angels to minister to him, you got to be a pretty proud, arrogant dude or dudette to think that, that you don't need angels to minister to you. And they're there to minister to us, especially when we find ourselves in between a rock and a hard place. They're there to encourage us, to protect us, and to embolden us, to persevere through whatever we're going through. And you know, most importantly, here's the most exciting news. There's one angel who's called the angel of the Lord, none other than Jesus Christ. David wrote about that angel over in Psalms, chapter 34. Flip with me over there for a minute. I'm going to read this really quickly, and then I'm going to come back to it. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him, delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm in verse number 7 and 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. There is no want to those who fear Him. And here's what I want you to see. Look it back at verse number 7. The Lord encamps off to the side, uh, down the road, up in heaven. Where's the Lord encamp? The angel of the Lord. All around. You understand the picture that's being painted right there? If you're a child of God, you don't see God's glory encircling you and covering you, but the angel of the Lord is camped with you, and his glory covers you all around. You understand the protection that you have in the Lord if he camps all around you? there's All around means there's no breach in your perimeter. That God's all around you. He's got your rear covered, your side covered, and your front covered. He's all around you. If you fear him, and and if you fear him, uh, he delivers them. He says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is him. Blessed. Oh, how happy is the man who trusts in the Lord. Jacob was distressed, and he was afraid. Not because he wasn't a patriarch. Not because he wasn't a child of God. He was a child of God. He was a patriarch. Why was he distressed and afraid? Because he didn't trust in the Lord. See, even as a believer, you've got that choice. You can trust in the Lord or you can trust in yourself. When you trust in the Lord, you're blessed. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want, no desire. No fear, perfect love, cast out fear. There's no fear to those who fear him. Now, now David writes about these angels, and there's no doubt that David had experienced the ministry of angels his whole life. I mean, his whole life he had experienced the ministry of angels. About a thousand years after Jacob encountered these angels at Mahanaim. Uh, Jacob, uh, uh, I mean, David, about a thousand years after that took place, David was betrayed by his son Absalom. You remember the story. And David left Jerusalem, and he crossed the Kidron Valley, and he went off uh, uh, east towards the Jordan River. And he went across the Jordan River and... He camped there. I want you to flip with me for a minute. Uh, Go with me to, I think I've got the reference here. Go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 17. And look down at verse number 24. Now, you got to get the picture here. Absalom's chasing him. He had been delayed because David had a spy in the court, and he got him to delay. But, but now he's after him. As David's fleeing, he crosses the Kidron Valley, he crosses the Jordan, he goes over the east side of the Jordan into Edom. And then in verse number 24, it says, Then David went where? To Mahanaim. That's the exact place where Jacob went that we looked at that in chapter 32 of Genesis and Absalom crossed over the Jordan and he, and, and look at the odds here. All the men of Israel were with him and they're out to kill David. So here's David on the very spot where Jacob had camped and and uh, we aren't told that David saw any angels, and I don't know that he, that he saw any angels or not. And I think if he had seen angels at this point, he would have, he would have written something about it in the text, but maybe not. But, but uh, uh, anyway, here's David, and, and I think more than anything else, he's heartbroken at this point. His own son's betrayed him. He's beaten down, and, he, and he's fa- facing you know, possible capture, uh, torture, and death. And I have no doubt at this point that David did what he always did when he was in between a rock and a hard place. You remember what he did at Ziglag when, when uh, all his family had been taken away by the, the, the marauders and they had burned down the city of Ziglag? You remember what he did and his men were about to stone him? You remember what he did? He went aside and he strengthened himself in the Lord. So here's David in a very similar situation. And I have no doubt what he does at this point. He strengthens himself in the Lord. Now, how do you strengthen yourself in the Lord? You don't just you know, lift weights or do anything like that. How do you strengthen yourself in the Lord? You ponder the word of God. That's how you strengthen yourself in the Lord. And here was David. And where was he at? David was a man of the word. He knew the scriptures. Where was he at? He was at Baha Naim. And he understood what Mahanaim meant. It meant the camp of God. It meant the camp of angels. There were two camps there. And he said to himself, you know, there's two camps here now. There's my camp with my few little soldiers left and a, and a few servants. Uh, and, and all of Israel's about to kill me. And, and, and there's a camp of angels and they're with me. And he strengthened himself in the Lord. And the next morning he got up and he dressed himself for battle because he knew he wasn't going into battle by himself. And his man said, David, you can't go into battle with us, because if they kill you, then all of us are going to flee, and they're going to slaughter us all. And so, so this led us go into the battle. And David said, you can go into the battle. And no he, in his mind, he knew they were going into the battle with angels. And they went into the battle, that ragtag team of, of soldiers, and they went in, and they defeated all the armies of Israel. And David was restored to his throne at Mahaneh, the place of two camps. Listen, whether you see them or not, whether you hear them speak or not, they are there. Angels are there. And their message has never changed. It's a message of love and mercy from God. It's a message that God loves you and that you can trust him to take care of you through the most difficult of times. I don't care what you're facing. God sends those angels to let you know that they're there. That they're there with you and most importantly that he's there with you. You know, my prayer for you and me both as we close today is this that God would open our eyes and let us see that we're being ministered to by angels. Angels who descend from heaven, bringing us echoes of mercy and whispers of love. I tell you what, when you really believe that, when you really believe that there's two camps, there's a camp of you and your family, maybe you and your church, and there's the camp of God, which is a camp of angels. When you really believe that, you know that you can face any situation and know that you're going to come out victorious. Because the leader of that camp of angels is none other than the angel of the lord jesus christ and if he died for you and he died for me he's certainly not going to let fail you now he's there to help you let's go to the lord in prayer father we just thank you for your great mercy and your great love that we see through the ministry of angels and Lord, we just, we just, again, just help us to see sometimes that you're whispering to us and speaking to us and showing your love to us through those uh, flaming spirits that, that minister from your throne. Lord, you send them out daily to, to, to all of us who are going to inherit salvation. And, Lord, we can trust in you. And, Lord, most importantly, we do have your spirit. We do have uh, you surrounding us and camp with us in this life. And we just thank you for that great privilege. Lord, We again, we're so blessed to know you. Uh, Lord, thank you for your mercy when we falter, when our faith is weak. Lord, thank you that, that when we're faithless, you're faithful. We're just so grateful to know you and be blessed by you. We thank you for all you are in Christ Jesus. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.